Welcome to Skim This. Have you been feeling stressed out at work recently? Or just really tired of doing your same job? This week, we're taking a look at one of the burnout fixes that's taking over the country, the four-day work week. The push to shorten the work week from five days to four, gaining momentum around the globe. Some companies are testing a four-day work week to see if it makes employees more productive. More companies are giving this a go as they rethink what returning to the office looks like. We'll ask a workplace expert, are permanent long weekends too good to be true? We've also got the latest on the war in Ukraine, another round of booster shots, and a scientific breakthrough for people with long COVID. And did you see that latest drama online? Facebook's parent company is making some shady moves against TikTok. And it turns out that some of your LinkedIn connections might actually be AI robots. We're here to make you smarter and the news less overwhelming. I'm Alex Carr. Let's skim this. Let's start with some headlines from the week's news and give you some context on why they matter. First up, Russia claims it's scaling back military operations in parts of Ukraine as the two nations are engaged in the latest rounds of negotiations. Here's the context. That announcement comes as Russia's been struggling with its military offensive in Ukraine. Apparently, Putin's been getting some fishy intelligence from his own team, which is contributing to the stalemate we're seeing on the ground. NATO says up to 15,000 Russian troops have been killed so far, and now Russia's saying it wants to increase mutual trust between the two nations. But don't take that as a ceasefire quite yet. Meanwhile, Ukraine is still hoping to reach a peace deal, and has considered declaring itself neutral as part of a peace agreement. What does that mean? Basically, that its military won't form an alliance with others, and it would have to give up its goal of joining NATO. But Ukrainian President Zelensky said that's up to the Ukrainian people, and the country would put it to a vote. So as the war enters week six, both Russia and Ukraine seem to be regrouping and not retreating. Okay, next headline. The FDA now giving the green light for a second COVID booster for Americans 50 and older. Another booster? Here's the deal. This week, the FDA approved a second round of booster shots for people ages 50 and up and people over 12 with immune deficiencies. But we should note, even though people can get them, the CDC isn't saying those over 50 absolutely should. Rather, the CDC is telling people to consider their options and their medical history. Basically, a vaccine choose-your-own-adventure. For people who do choose to get a second booster, if you don't have health insurance, you may find you actually have to pay for it. That's because the U.S. is running low on COVID funding. This week, President Biden urged Congress to consider approving over $22 million in emergency COVID relief to keep up testing and treatment reimbursement for uninsured patients. Whether Congress actually approves that funding is still TBD. But as the new Omicron subvariant causes cases to spike, Team Biden is saying this is pretty urgent. All right, next headline. A new study has found that in 22 cities, young women are actually earning the same as or out-earning their male counterparts. Finally, some good news. 
In a study done by Pew Research Center analyzing U.S. Census data, young women under 30 in metro areas like New York, Washington, D.C., and Los Angeles make 100 to 120 percent of what their male colleagues make. And it's important to note that those are some of the biggest cities in the U.S. So what's causing the pay gap to shrink in some places? Pew chalked it up to a number of factors, including pay equity laws, advancements in higher education, and higher demands from young workers. But here's the not-so-great news. This trend doesn't apply to older women. Pew reported that women over 30 still make only 80% of what their male counterparts make, likely a financial penalty for taking time off to take care of their family. So this is just another reminder that the pay gap is still alive and well in many places in the United States. All right, next headline. Five people were killed in a new attack in Israel, extending the country's worst outbreak of violence in years. A Palestinian gunman killed five people in a suburb of Tel Aviv on Tuesday. That's the fifth attack in Israel in less than two weeks, and so far, 11 people have been killed. The Islamic State claimed responsibility for one of the previous attacks, and another was claimed by someone with Islamic State ties. Authorities are still looking into what motivated the attacks, or whether they were organized, but this violence coincided with a historic summit in Israel. This week, Israeli officials met with diplomats from the U.S. and four Arab nations to discuss security issues, the economy, and ongoing tensions with Iran, as diplomats are working to revitalize the Iran nuclear deal from 2015. Leaders who attended the summit condemned the attacks. But people are bracing for more violence in the coming weeks, when the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, the Jewish holiday of Passover, and the Christian holiday of Easter all coincide. And our final headline this week. According to multiple reports, the Biden administration is getting ready to end a Trump-era policy that has prevented more than a million migrants from seeking asylum in the United States. The White House has announced a major change in immigration policy. Team Biden has said they're lifting the Trump-era emergency public health order called Title 42. Quick reminder, Title 42 went into effect in 2020, early in the COVID pandemic. It allowed immigration officials to quickly send migrants and asylum seekers back to their native countries without allowing them to apply for asylum. It was supposed to prevent migrants from bringing COVID into the U.S. But a number of public health experts criticized the order, saying it isn't grounded in science and that migrants don't pose a greater risk for transmission. Title 42 will be lifted on May 23rd, and families and adults will once again be able to claim asylum in the U.S. As the date approaches, state and local officials are warning that the U.S. could see a surge of migrants at the border, something opponents believe will strain U.S. immigration systems. But reports say the administration plans to lift the order in phases to avoid being overwhelmed, so that all migrants who seek asylum will have the chance to do so. Recently, there's been tension brewing between two social media giants. As the Chinese-owned platform TikTok gains popularity in the U.S., Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, 
has started to resort to some pretty unusual tactics to try to win back their audience. And what started as healthy competition between the two companies is threatening to turn into all-out war. Because, according to a report that dropped from the Washington Post this week, Facebook's parent company has been secretly trying to launch a national campaign to turn the public against TikTok. So what exactly are they up to in Silicon Valley? We'll explain in 60 seconds. Facebook's had its eye on TikTok for a long time. According to an internal memo that was leaked last year, Facebook's been pretty nervous that TikTok is coming for its audience. The report cited that teens were spending two or three times more time on TikTok than on Instagram. And this won't come as a surprise, young people just aren't using Facebook anymore. Back in February, Facebook announced they had actually lost monthly active users for the first time ever. To try to win people back, Meta has apparently decided to go full political smear campaign and hired a consulting firm that traditionally represents Republican clients called Targeted Victory to paint TikTok as the enemy. According to the Post, Targeted Victory has been trying to get the message out that TikTok is a dangerous platform because it's foreign-owned and that it's a danger to American kids. And it's been planting anti-TikTok stories in local news outlets in places like Colorado and Iowa that include falsified or exaggerated claims about the Chinese company. If you're thinking, this all seems kind of petty of Facebook, you're not wrong. Not only is Facebook worried about losing users, but it's also likely trying to deflect from its own recent scandals, including reports that its products are seriously damaging to teens' mental health. As for where things stand between the two companies now, TikTok said they're deeply concerned by this new reporting, while Meta has apparently defended the campaign. So it seems like the war for your online attention is far from over. How'd we do? Want us to skim a question from the news? Send us your suggestions to audio at theskim.com. As we head into the third year of the pandemic, we hear a lot about new variants and rising and falling caseloads. But even though scientists are trying to predict the future of the virus, they're also studying the past. In particular, COVID long haulers, aka people who haven't fully recovered from COVID-19 weeks or even months after first experiencing symptoms. COVID long haulers have had a hard time getting medical attention or the right care for their symptoms, which can include shortness of breath, nerve pain, headaches, fatigue, or something known as brain fog. But new research shows that there are a lot of similarities between long COVID brain fog and other brain conditions. To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Michelle Manje, a professor of neurology at Stanford, and she's one of the scientists who's pioneering this research. Michelle, I want to start by asking you to just describe long COVID brain fog. What symptoms are we talking about? And do we have a sense of how many people this affects? So long COVID brain fog is characterized pretty consistently with impaired attention, concentration, speed of information processing, kind of speed of thought processing, impaired memory, and executive function. And this often comes together with larger long COVID syndrome 
characterized by extreme fatigue. The best information we have from people who've been followed for the longest suggests that as many as one in four people who have COVID may suffer from these persistent cognitive symptoms after the initial acute infection has cleared. That's an enormous number of people. We don't know if the incidence of cognitive impairment is going to be the same for people who have been vaccinated and have breakthrough infections, but certainly people who are infected in 2020 have a very high incidence of persistent cognitive dysfunction of varying degree. So brain fog could show up for people in different ways, right? Like it could take longer to understand questions or it just could be harder to focus for an entire day at work. Can you now explain the link you found between long COVID brain fog and other long-term brain conditions? I'm a neurologist. I'm also a neuro-oncologist, and I've been very interested for now, gosh, over 20 years in the kind of cognitive impairment that many cancer survivors experience and that we think is induced by various forms of cancer therapy, which is commonly known as chemofog. And what has been clear again and again in all of our studies is that Brain inflammation is really central to the dysfunction that occurs after cancer therapy. And so I worried when it was clear in this pandemic how inflammatory this particular virus is, even in relatively mild acute cases, that we might start to see the same kind of cognitive symptoms in people after COVID infection. And so seeing these clinical similarities, I wondered whether the neurobiology underlying this condition might be similar in both disease states. So what did you find? Brain function depends upon multiple kinds of brain cells working together, kind of like a team. And this team includes neurons, which communicate information from one part of the nervous system to the other, as well as supporting cell types that make sure that the lines of communication are correctly connected. One of the brain cell team members, if you will, is a type of immune cell that resides in the brain and is called a microglia. In the healthy brain, microglia do important jobs on the cellular team, but they can become reactive and disruptive to the function of other cell types. That causes dysfunction within kind of this team of cells that's responsible for healthy brain function. And as a result, communication between brain cells is disrupted and cognitive function is impaired. So following cancer therapy, we see that there's a particular pattern of this microglial reactivity. And so we had the opportunity to examine a collection of individuals who passed away suddenly and were found to have SARS-CoV-2 infection at the time. And when we examined their brains, we found the same pattern that echoed the kind of brain inflammation we see after cancer therapy. You know, brain inflammation, I think, sounds really scary. And knowing that we've now found this link between long COVID brain fog and other brain conditions, how significant is it that we've found that similarity? Brain inflammation can cause some pretty profound effects in the brain. Keeping the brain healthy is necessary for, you know, optimal cognitive function. What is hopeful is that in other disease states, we found that if we can correct this inflammation, that there can be repair, that there can be mitigation of these effects, particularly with respect to the kind of cognitive impairment induced by cancer therapy. There are therapeutic potential options that are being explored right now, not just in the laboratory, but in early clinical trials. 
And as we understand more about the similarities and, and potentially the differences between those two diseases, hopefully we can leverage what we already know and what we've spent decades learning and accelerate towards an effective therapy for brain fog after COVID. The other really hopeful thing that I want to point out is that this kind of infection-induced brain inflammation. This is a syndrome that is likely relevant to a number of different kinds of infections and in inflammatory states. And it has been poorly understood why it is that some people after recovering from various inflammatory states can't go back to exactly their previous level of cognitive function. And so my hope is that with this really focused effort on understanding the brain fog after COVID, that we will also learn important lessons about how to better take care of people who have cognitive impairment following a variety of different inflammatory states. Michelle, thank you so much. If you feel like you've been having a hard time at work recently, well, you're not the only one. Burnout and stress are at an all-time high across industries in the U.S. Companies have tried different tactics to try to keep their workers healthy, like expanded employee mental health services and more days off. But there's one bigger, bolder solution that's starting to get some buzz. Meet the four-day workweek. It's not a new concept, but since the pandemic accelerated burnout trends, executives have been thinking of instituting these permanent long weekends, hoping to strike a better balance between work and life. It's exactly what it sounds like. Employees work four days a week, but without the loss of pay, benefits, or productivity. You still have the same amount of work, but since you've got an extra day to handle personal tasks, you can be less stressed about trying to juggle it all while you're on the clock. Fewer hours, more efficiency. In December of 2020, the whole team was feeling really burnt out after that sort of first you know, year or so of the pandemic. That's Gabriel Stein, the head of operations and product at the Knowledge Futures Group, a small nonprofit that builds support software for academic spaces like libraries and museums. What we realized was we all felt that because we were working remotely, we felt that we just couldn't get up and leave our desks. We were tied to them because we... We're constantly waiting for people to send us messages or for emails to come in. You definitely know the feeling, right? But we should point out the four-day workweek isn't a 21st century idea. In fact, Kellogg's was one of the first companies to experiment with reducing employee hours during the Great Depression. But this concept has entered into our conversation now largely because of the pandemic and how our workforce has had to adjust to new challenges working remotely. Stein had actually been thinking about the four-day workweek for a long time. But in 2020, when everything was already changing about the way we worked, he and his team decided to go for it and experiment. The result? For the most part, people's satisfaction was up, their connection to coworkers was up, their feeling of connection to the role and the mission of the company was up, and their feeling of burnout was down. And meanwhile, productivity had not changed at all. Adopting a four-day workweek is starting to become a lot more common. Here in the U.S., the federal standard is still 40 hours a week. But starting in April, 35 companies, including the crowdfunding company Kickstarter, are joining a pilot program to try out a four-day workweek. 
The pilot is run by a New Zealand-based nonprofit that has done extensive research on shortened work weeks and has decided to help other organizations successfully roll out a four-day program for their employees. Other countries, like Belgium and Spain, have proposed legislation to allow workers to try a 32-hour week. And in Japan, Panasonic and Microsoft are testing out the trend as well. We spoke to Jennifer Liu, a work reporter for CNBC Make It, to learn more about whether this trend actually would help us catch a break. Advocates have been advocating for this for decades. It's really come to the fore in the last two years especially. Advocates have been saying that this could be great for mental health. People could have better work-life balance. There are also studies that show reduced work weeks with less commuting. It can be good for people's budgets without having to pay for that extra day of transit. It could also be more sustainable for the environment without that extra back and forth commuting. The cost of caregiving is skyrocketing in recent years with working parents in the office one fewer day a week that could reduce the cost of childcare or caregiving. Even though some polls show that 92% of Americans are in favor of a four-day work week, so far, only a handful of companies have been able to implement it. Here in the U.S., I'm seeing a lot of, you know, smaller tech companies get on the trend. Startup-sized businesses can really be more agile. They want to be on the cutting edge, known for being, like, innovative, creative, this can be a great employee perk, especially for these smaller businesses that want to attract top talent, but maybe don't have like the big bucks that major tech companies can offer. Liu also pointed out that there would be ripple effects in the labor economy if this trend takes off. I think of people who work in schools and childcare centers. A lot of these operate based around the schedules of working parents, adults. So if parents are working one fewer day a week, what does that look like for people who work in schools and child care centers? The standard 40-hour work week was actually really popularized by Henry Ford, who implemented it for his factory workers. So I don't know that I would rule out that any type of job can't be reimagined to do a shorter work week. It's clear that something needs to change about our work-life balance, and permanent long weekends sound like a great solution. But adjusting to a shorter work week does come with its share of challenges, like managing workloads and expectations. Businesses are about the bottom line, right? It's about reaching certain financial or productivity goals. So I think for leaders to get on board, they'll really have to do kind of a cost analysis of if people are working one fewer day or fewer hours, can they still reach their desired outcomes? Think about it this way. If you technically have a four-day work week, but you still hear from your boss on your days off, or you're working late into the night during those four days, that's not going to improve your relationship with work. So companies still have a lot to figure out. Let's hear from Stein again. There are two ways of thinking about the four-day work week. One way is we're going to get way more efficient at doing work in a smaller amount of time to protect that extra time. And and I think that's an, an interesting way of thinking about it, but it can lead to burnout. And the reason we weren't super efficient beforehand was that we had all of these exterior 
stressors weighing down on us. And so the extra day off is a way essentially to take away anxiety of, oh gosh, I'm not caught up on personal email, or I meant to call my mom, or you know, I have to take the kids to school, or those things that, that get in the way and in the middle of the week that are always weighing down on us. It was less like, we're going to get really good at getting really efficient. And it was more, can we give people the time to take away those external stressors? And will that help them be more focused and be more productive during the work week? It's still TBD whether the four-day work week is coming to an office near you and what the larger impact of more companies adopting the schedule would be. But for Stein, having an extra day to connect with his hobbies and, let's be honest, do some laundry is paying off big time. I'm spending more time personally playing the violin, which is something I did as a kid and was able to pick up basically after we switched to the four-day work week again. I'm you know, going on walks on Fridays. I'm spending a lot less time in front of screens. It's been a huge improvement. Now, we want to hear from you. Do you love or hate the idea of a four-day work week? Send in your thoughts to audio at theskim.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Have you felt like you've gotten a lot more LinkedIn requests recently, especially from people you definitely don't know or who don't even look familiar? Well, we've got some bad news. You may have been networking with a robot. Researchers at Stanford's Internet Observatory, who typically study things like Russian disinformation and conspiracy theories, recently have had their eye on another spooky internet trend fake LinkedIn profiles. According to NPR, after only a few weeks, the researchers' investigation turned up more than a thousand bogus profiles, with photos that seem to be generated by artificial intelligence and a built-out profile page that includes an employer, a college, and a brief job history. And while fake social media accounts have definitely been used for more nefarious activity in the past, NPR did some digging and found these profiles were being used for something less dangerous, but definitely still annoying. Customer marketing. Think people trying to sell you software or a new productivity app. Apparently, these fake profiles will try to message you or add you as a connection to sell you whatever it is that they're trying to sell, and then they loop you in with a real person to seal the deal. So how widespread is this? NPR found that these fake profiles connected back to around 70 employers, some of whom said, wait a second, we didn't know about this, when asked about this bizarre sales strategy. Other companies are reportedly totally owning it. There are organizations out there that are actually selling LinkedIn avatars for hundreds of dollars per month. But as harmless as random LinkedIn bots might seem, digital forensics experts are looking at this trend and worrying. Because, according to the report, this could usher in a whole other kind of online weirdness in the corporate world, like fake audio and video. Not to mention, using AI-generated photos could also make it harder for LinkedIn to spot fake profiles. So there could be a lot more people flooding your inbox soon. Now that we know all of that, how exactly do we spot a fake? First, check out the person's photo. Apparently, some of the AI-generated pics that Stanford found had something kind of off. Like the person only wearing one earring, messy or out-of-place-seeming hair, 
noticeable asymmetry in their face that looks like Photoshop gone wrong, misshapen clothing, or a strangely blurred background. And even though those characteristics sound super noticeable, you might have to look carefully, because according to recent studies, people have a pretty hard time distinguishing between a real photo and a fake one. Next, researchers said you can also check out their short bio and recent activity. If the bio seems very corporate-sounding, or only talks about the company they work for, not the person's actual career background, that could be a flag. Same with no posts or recent activity. And finally, take a look at the message they sent you. Does it use weird, out-of-context emojis? Does it look similar to other LinkedIn messages you've seen come through recently? That's a final sign that this person is probably just a bot. In a world where we already get spam text messages and phone calls from robots trying to talk to us about our car's warranty when we don't have a car, we do not need to be bothered by AI-generated profiles on LinkedIn, too. But knowing the signs of how to tell who's real and who's not can help you navigate the internet smarter and keep your network to actual people. At least for now. Thanks for listening to Skim This. This podcast was skimmed by me, Alex Carr, along with our producer, Will Livingston. We had additional help this week from Sajeen Coriellis. Our senior audio engineer is Andrew Calloway, and the Skim's head of audio is Graylin Brashear. Skim This will be back in your feed again next Thursday. Until then, check out the other podcasts from the Skim. 9 to 5-ish is where we talk all things career, with our founders, Carly and Danielle. And Pop Cultured is our weekly deep dive into the culture stories you can't stop thinking about. Follow 9to5ish and Pop Cultured wherever you're already listening to us. <laughs>